Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Lightning fans, you found the right show for everything you need to know about your favorite team in the NHL. It's the Lightning Insider Podcast with Eric Erlinson. Get ready for insight, historical perspective, interviews, and breaking news that comes from a reporter insider who's got near 20 years on the Tampa Bay Lightning beat. Now for the latest with the Lightning, here's Eric. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the LightningInsider.com podcast. I am Eric Erlinson alongside with my co Greg Vanelli from Lightning Power Play and Lightning Radio. We've got a lot to discuss on this week's show. Uh, as always, make sure you're subscribing to this. You're hitting the like buttons. You're giving the five-star reviews. They mean a lot to us and, and go a long way. And let us know, too, that you're enjoying what you're hearing. So make sure you flood all of that if you can. If you ever have any comments, feel free to email me, eric at lightninginsider.com. Of course, that's my website as well if you want to subscribe there. Uh, yearly plans and monthly plans as well and uh greg i want to jump right into conversation this week because we've got uh, quite a a few things to kind of go over Uh, but first of all i hope everybody set their clocks ahead over the weekend because if not you're listening to this podcast an hour too late (laughs) and why would you do that (laughs) yeah you know that is um the whole the whole time change thing is just bizarre to me if you do a little deep deep dive into it it you know, has, I guess, something to do more with farmers and yeah, uh, absolutely. Whole, yeah. And it just, but it, it just feels so bizarre. And you know what, when you have kids under the age of five, it's cruel. I think it's cruel punishment for the parents. You're speaking from and recent so I'm experience. experience. I, <laughs> it's been a while for you, but on my end, um, you know, <laughs> I was ready to fall asleep <laughs> at seven o'clock, you know, tonight, which would have been eight o'clock. And but I can't because we're doing this podcast. So I had to get some extra coffee, and you know I feel like a kid. I feel like a kid. I drug you from your uh, daylight savings times day of routine, uh, and I can tell you all daylight savings times means in my house is that my teenagers just sleep an hour later. Um, <laughs> and it also only means that as I'm up late working at night after a game, uh, it's very disheartening when the clock goes from one fifty nine to three a.m. You're thinking I'm doing pretty good getting ahead, and I'm thinking. I just lost an hour. How did that happen? And I go. It home. is. It's oh, cruel. Yeah. cruel. It's cruel. Yep. It is. What it, Benjamin Franklin came up with the idea for. Um, He's a smart man. Look, one of the smartest people. Man. One of the smartest people in the history of the world. But you know, maybe in the next life, uh, Benjamin and I will sit down and we'll have a conversation about that. Can I be invited? I'd love to be invited to that conversation. Well, you can. You know, I bet you he would listen to this podcast if he could. He probably, and you know what, he probably would have invented the podcast. He probably would. He, he probably did. <laughs> it's right, right there with the bifocals, right? The bifocals, yeah. and yeah, you know, and, and actually, he was one of the first, you know, big proponents of newspapers. You know, silence do good, right? Like he wrote those secret letters. Um, so in, in a way, he did mm-hmm. invent podcasts, just in a written form. I was one, you know, it's funny you mentioned him. I was listening to a um, a podcast, uh, and I, I I forget what they were. They were discussing, but they, they got into Benjamin Franklin 
And basically, like the things he's known for, there's also like 20 or 30 other things that you could probably say he invented or had a hand in. I mean, just just a genius. And I, I, I find all of that stuff very fascinating because back in the day, you know, obviously when he was around, I mean, just the things he was thinking about and the things that he would he would attempt to do was uh, pretty incredible. So do a deep dive into Benjamin Franklin and you'll come away amazed, just like you will from this podcast when you're done listening to it. I hope so, because we got some good cop topics. And Ooh. I, I want to jump right into this because this was a topic du jour on social media for quite a bit on Saturday when Nikita Kucherov made a surprise appearance on the team's morning skate. He was finishing up a rehab skate and just decided to stick around and skate a little bit with his teammates before they got ready to host the Nashville Predators on Saturday and raise the banner and everything that went along with the pageantry of Saturday, including fans back at Amelie Arena. And it was great to see Nikita Kucherov out there. Uh, the smile on his face, you could see it meant a lot to him. I mean, you know, when players go through injuries, we don't think about it a lot. They have to deal with isolation in some ways, not COVID isolation, but injury isolation. And it's probably even worse right now because, you know, the, the team went away for two weeks and all they're doing is just working. You know, I mean, I've had conversations with Steven Stamkos, especially when he was recovering from the broken leg and he just felt like he wasn't part of the team because yeah. he wasn't around the team. And, you know, so that was a big moment for him having undergone the hip surgery in December and has been around the locker room, but not participating in anything with the team. So it was a good moment for the team and for him to be around. But boy, did it cause an uproar as people took, a, a lot of people took that moment and said, oh my gosh, he's practicing with the team. He'll be ready to play in a couple of weeks. And how can people be so jump to the gun? I don't, that's a rhetorical question because I know why they do it. But to sit there and think that because Nikita Kucherov was on the ice, he wasn't really skating. He was just going a little bit up and down the ice. Yeah, he took a couple of line rushes. He wasn't practicing with the team. And then all of a sudden, these nefarious conspiracy theories pop out saying, oh, the Lightning are just going to keep him on long-term injury relief all year until he's going to come back to the playoffs because of their salary cap situation. And it's ludicrous to think this because the timeline was four to five months. That hasn't changed. And we have great examples of that. One of them was Braden Point, who underwent the same hip surgery two summers ago in the summer of 2019. And guess what his timeline was? four to five months. Guess when he came back skating two months after surgery, guess when he came back to play three months after he started skating. It's, it's just incredible to me that people just want to take a bit of information and jump off a cliff with it. You know, it almost reminds me people who complained about that. Cause I, I saw, you know, I woke up and I, I saw some exchanges. You were right in the middle of it. And I, I, I fell for you, man. You were, you were right there. Oh, I brought it on myself. It was like you were charging it in the middle. It was like Jon Snow, the Battle of the Bath. <laughs> you were just waiting. And I see all these people just going on. And I'm thinking, are these people either really dumb? Let's face it. That's a possibility. I, I can't <laughs> eliminate that. Or they're just looking for clicks. Now, look, either one of those is terrible. <laughs> I mean, I can't help you if you're dumb. 
And if you're just doing it for clicks, well, what does that say about you? All you had to do was take 10 minutes and do some research. Or, you know what? At the very least, the way technology is today, how about DM you or reach out to you and say, hey, yeah, I know Kucherov was on the ice. What does that mean? Just play stupid. Let somebody who's covering the team inform you of what's happening. But instead, and this is where, honestly, social media is a cesspool. This is where you get a lot of its ugliness because yeah. now, now there are people who are weighing in who have no idea what they're talking about. And now you're getting into an argument with people you don't even know. <laughs> I mean, that to me, that was the most bizarre thing is that, you know, I, I try and read people's bylines a little bit on Twitter, see where they're coming from, who they cover. And I, I'm looking at this and I'm saying, geez, I mean, you're, you know, former reporter here, blogger here, this guy right here, this girl right there. And I'm thinking, what, what are we trying to gain from this? Are, are you upset because the lightning just playing by the rules, their best offensive player is on the ice and it looks like he's on track to come back for the playoffs and it's going to strengthen an already impressive team is this is what are you this upset? And I, I guess my question would be, why are you that upset? You shouldn't be cheering for one team or the other. I don't care if you cover a, a team in the lightnings division that could be playing Kucherov or somebody else. Why are you so upset? Like what, it, what makes you so mad that Kucherov got on the ice? And yeah, so without, I, without I knowing the story, what's that? And without knowing the full story, well, that's what I mean. Like, and I, I thought you laid it out pretty well. And who was who was the uh, former hockey player that that jumped on to your Mike Johnson? Yeah, I mean that that was pretty cool because I mean I think he gave some perspective there. But for people to jump to that conclusion, again, either you're very ignorant and you were looking for clicks, or you're just not smart. And I I don't know which ones which ones better. I, I think there's some ignorance involved because as we know, social media can be instantaneous reaction. And that's when you get into trouble is when you just, it, it, you know, it, emotional reactions uh, are sometimes the worst to have and Twitter and Facebook and everywhere else tends to be emotional reactions a lot. So I think some of it is based on ignorance, but at the end of the day, you're going to sit here and tell me the lightning were a better off team without their MVP for the entire regular season and, and if they had this in their back pocket all along, they put Tyler Johnson through what they put Tyler Johnson through because why? Because they just felt like being cruel t- a cruel team to Tyler Johnson. You just helped them win a Stanley Cup, and you're going to put them through all this, all knowing that you're going to put Nikita Kucherov on long. Like, just put two and two together here, and you're, yeah. you're going to come up with a much better answer than some of the conspiracy theories that people are trying to put out there that the Lightning are cheating or somehow – skirting the rules this is a a tool that's been utilized by teams for the past 10 years the toronto maple leafs invented this one they traded for contracts for nathan horton and david clarkson who are never going to play again to create long-term salary cap relief so they could fit players on their salary on their active roster this is no different the only difference here is that it's this is a, a, a player at the peak of his career who has to have hip surgery and all it does takes is a little bit of research to figure out that this particular type of hip surgery, he's right in line with where he should be in his rehab. Because there's a big difference 
and being out on the ice with your teammates and just going on straight line skating than there is the back and forth. I mean, just sure. Braden Point is the best example of it because look at the way Braden Point has played the last year plus since he's come back from his hip surgery and the way that he uh, Shakira's his way around the ice and, and his movements and the way there's a big difference between straight line skating and what Braden Point does. We could see towards the end of that 19 season when Braden Point was not the same type of explosive player because he was dealing with this. And then look at the difference between Braden Point then and now the last two seasons. And you can see why there's such a big difference between getting out on the ice and then being ready to play in an NHL game. It is a long process. And it was great that we had an opportunity to talk to Braden Point on Saturday after Nikita Kucherov made the appearance because we could get his perspective. And everybody rehabs different. Everybody recovers differently. And even Mike Johnson said that. But he had a surgery, uh, what do you say, in November. He was back on the ice in January, two months, but he was never cleared to play all the way through April and because it took him that long to recover from it. And Braden Point was a little bit younger. Nikita Kucherov is a couple of years older. Braden Point had it on both hips. Nikita Kucherov just had it on the one hip. So everybody's going to react to this differently, but the time frame remains the same. He still has a lot of rehab in front of him before he's ready to play. And for anybody to sit here and say that the Lightning are trying to cheat and skirt the rules, I just don't understand why you jump to that conclusion on one little piece of information. Well, and, you know, have some restraint. You can have that emotion privately, but then don't put it out on Twitter. You know, I mean, you can be upset. But what are you what are you doing? And didn't didn't the Blackhawks win a Stanley Cup basically by doing the same thing with was it Patrick Kane? Well, they didn't win a cup, but uh, it was actually it was a six. I mean, pretty sure it was a 2016 season. Yeah, I think where that's what it was. Patrick Kane broke his collarbone, and there was some belief that he was ready to come back with about two weeks left in the regular season, but they had cap issues, and yeah. had Patrick Kane been cleared to play and ready to come back. They would have had to make some moves to clear space to allow Patrick Kane to come out of the active roster. So they just held him out for those two, two additional weeks, and he was ready for game one against, uh, I believe it was Nashville. I think it was the year that Nashville swept them out of the first round. Um, but, yeah, it, it's like this is not – like the Lightning, are, they're not sitting by and saying, no, you know what, MVP, we don't need you. And, and people made the argument, well, because they knew that they were in such a soft division that they didn't need him to win. Look, this team has depth. There's no doubt about it. But if you know anything about this team and this franchise and the way they've operated for the past decade when it comes to player injuries, they always err on the side of caution. They do not push their players back. In fact, we've seen it many times where a player says, yeah, I'm ready to go. And the medical staff says, ah, you know what, maybe another week. Give yourself another week, that extra seven, eight, yeah. nine days, whatever it is, to, to get some, some additional rehab in and make sure you're ready. Don't think that you're ready. Let's make sure you're ready. And so if you all you have to do, and look, we're close to the team. I've covered the team for 20 years. I know how they operate. So I, I have some inside knowledge of how it works. And a lot of the people don't. I get that. But this is why you don't jump to conclusions. You look it up. You find facts. You get information. You talk to people. And that's all it would take to figure out that this is, this is nothing nefarious in any way, shape, or form. Can we drop that subject? Unfortunately, that's going to be the narrative for a lot of these people especially if the lightning continue to advance in the playoffs and, you know, make another Stanley cup run. And Hey, these are the rules. You're allowed to do what they're doing. And as Julian Breezewell said the other day, no other team is going to add the type of layer. The lightning are going to add when Kucherov does come back. Now we don't know 
how impactful he'll be. I mean, I, I think in many ways it might be a little premature to expect him to come back and, and be amazing. You know, maybe initially he does, and then the adrenaline kind of wears off, and he's got to really work back into game shape. But just to have him back on the ice gives Tampa Bay another weapon. So, look, as long as that rule is in place and you can use the long-term IR to your advantage, and in this case it was needed, and it's going to help Tampa Bay in the postseason, it's not their fault they have a deep enough team where they don't need him right now in the regular season. But once they get him back for the playoffs – Let's see how he performs. But I think the Lightning, you can't fault them for going by the rules. No. And did, a, did an opportunity present itself to this team to allow not having to break up a good portion of their roster because of the salary cap situations? Absolutely. It did pop up. Um, you know, but they've also learned from Braden Point. And Yanni Gord had the same surgery that the player, when they, when they have the surgery, yeah, it, it costs time. And offseason is always a better situation for this for obvious reasons and there wasn't much of an offseason this year and and you know going back to when Julian first spoke about this injury you know Nikita came to them like at the early part of December saying hey I'm starting to feel some discomfort here because they had just won a Stanley Cup he didn't go on the ice for you know five weeks six weeks whatever it was but then he got back on the ice and that's when he felt the discomfort they tried to deal with it they tried to work through rehab and everything else and then they got the you know the uh, surgeons advice into it and they know from experience that this surgery while it's going to keep the player out for a good portion of time they will be better off for it when they have the procedure done so they weighed all of that and the fact that he wasn't going to be able to play through this for an entire season and then other playoffs and then guess what this offseason assuming that they can make it the playoff run is going to be probably the shortest they've ever had because the playoffs are going to go into July and they want to keep things on track for an October start next year. Everything lined up for them to take care of this now. And are they the benefit of this rule that allows you to do this? Of course, but they didn't go looking for it. It presented itself and it gave them an opportunity to do to utilize things this way to get through this other year. Because really all this does is kick the can down next year because they're going to have salary cap issues next year that they're going to have to deal with this summer. So that's all this did. And it just allowed them to keep their core together, but this, they're not doing anything that any other team in the league wouldn't do in their same situation. No, they don't. And you know, it's kind of getting off this topic a tad, but to your point about, look, they were probably going to have to make some moves this year. Kucherov's injury, maybe delay that a year. Even more, more of the reason here for them to try and win this thing again with this core group because you you just don't know when you're going to get this opportunity again to have these these players playing at the same time uh, in this kind of salary cap world that we live in and so yeah in some ways was a little bit of a gift for the lightning it was but now you want to see them take advantage of it and that to me is going to be the the fun part about watching this team because not many people anticipated coming into the season this roster for the most part still being the same as last year. Yep. And so look, the hockey gods are looking down on you in, a, in some ways, maybe a cruel way because it, it had to take a, an injury to Kucherov for you to keep that together. But it's almost like the deal they made was, all right, you know what? You're not going to give up any of your players, but you're going to have to play this whole season, at least the regular season without your best offensive player. If you can do that and get into the playoffs, We'll give you your best offensive player back. And that's going to happen. The question just becomes, 
can they take that opportunity? Because you don't get many of those opportunities in hockey or in life in general, where things just are clicking your way. Now you got to take advantage of it. That is, to me, the biggest uh, the biggest thing to watch for collectively with this team is can they run the table with the same group, almost giving them a second life with this roster. And let's keep in mind too, when Nikita Kucherov does come back, he wouldn't have, he won't have played a game since September 28th. He'll have missed the entire regular season and he's going to jump right into the playoffs. So there's no guarantee he's going to be at key at a top performance, regardless when he comes in, he probably will be. And maybe it'll take him a few games to kind of get the timing back. You know, he's a top tier player in this league, you know, and those guys tend to find ways to come back quickly, but there's no guarantee of that. He's never been through a situation where he's had to miss this much game time, you know, uh, and come back and, and, and jump into a situation like he is uh, coming back from injury. Everybody had dealt with the pause last summer going into the bubble, but uh, you know, there's no guarantee that he's going to jump right back in and be the MVP type player. We think he will be, but there's no guarantees coming off an injury that he's coming off of. Of course, having said that, Brayden Boyne came back and had three points against Toronto's first game. So maybe there is hope. Yeah, that's right. So uh, look, I'm excited because this Lightning team, even with Kucherov not knowing how he's going to perform in the playoffs, to have him as a threat out there still, they're good enough to allow him, I think, to get back into playing shape. And he might not be 100% that, that whole playoff run. He might not be as dynamic as we've seen. It may take him, it, it may take him a full year to feel completely healthy. I, I don't know. But a guy like that who's so skilled, even if it's on the power play for a little bit in the postseason, can make such a difference. That's going to be fun to watch, and we'll see how this plays out. Yeah, for sure. Uh, no matter when he comes back, it's going to be a big boost. And we assume it's going to be for the player. But there's not even a guarantee it'll be for game one. It might be even a little bit later because the four to five, four to five month time frame. Four months is the end of April and five months is the end of May. So if he's on the, the latter end of that time frame, there's still a chance he could miss the first round. So again, there's still not, nothing is set in stone. So again, why are people jumping to conclusions through all of this? Um, Greg, the other topic that we wanted to bring up because this came up as well when Tampa Bay lost the game in Detroit with Curtis McElhaney and Nett, saw many, many people in my timeline and other places that why is Curtis McElhaney still here? How come he's their backup goaltender? They need to make a change here. Why is Louis Domingue not still here? And I just have to sigh because you want to talk about a guy who's missed time. Curtis McElhaney didn't play a game for 11 months, spent two weeks earlier this year on the COVID list. So he's not even on the ice working with his teammates, getting practice, none of that. So add that into the 11-month absence between games, and he's going to have some rust. And he showed some rust in his loss to Florida, the home loss to the Panthers last month. Uh, I think he showed a little bit of rust in that Detroit game. But when you go back and you look at how those goals were scored, that was not on Curtis McElhaney. There were the turnovers at, and this is this is always anytime Tampa Bay loses a game, go back and look where the turnovers happened. And any team, you know, turnovers happen in a game, but what areas of the ice are you turning them over? Well, they had. I think three of the goals, the turnovers were inside the red line. And another one, Matthew Joseph tried to dump the puck in, hit the linesman, goes back the other way. It right. creates odd man opportunities. Like that was, that game was not on Curtis McElhaney. The only goal 
I fault Curtis McElhaney for, and, and, and everybody's going to look at this because it's a loss to Detroit. And how dare you lose to Detroit? Well, you turn a puck over to any team like that, they're going to have an opportunity to capitalize. And they did. Uh, but the only one I would fault McElhaney for in that game was the Robbie Fabry goal, where I felt that he was already down on the ice before Fabry took a shot. And that opened up an easy window for Fabry to put the puck over his shoulder and not have a chance to make it. The other ones, I mean, the, the stature goal was a, it was a deflected puck and it went into a perfect size window. The other one, he makes two stops um, and the puck goes off his glove and ends up in the back of the net. Um, again, a turnover that came right inside the, the defensive zone. I, I mean, people better understand Curtis McElhaney, A, is not going anywhere. B, go look at the quality of play that he's given this team last year. Uh, his numbers were not great, but they weren't bad last year. But look at his quality of play. There were games where he'd love up five goals and he might have been the best player on the ice because the team was so bad in front of him. You know, that's what you look for in your back of goaltender. What kind of an effort can he give you? And for people to jump all over Curtis McElhaney, I thought was unfair. Yeah, and I, I think you have to ask yourself, what are your expectations from Curtis McElhaney? With me, it's the eye test, and I, I feel like just about every game, he gives your team a chance to win. If you're complaining about your backup and your argument is, well, Greg, what is going to happen to this team if Vasilevsky goes down with an injury? And my response to that is always, McElhaney will battle, but any favorite team going into the playoffs that has to lean on their backup is probably in trouble to begin with. Even a team as talented as Tampa Bay goaltending is such a tough position to fill. And while I think there is a dramatic drop off from Vassy and the next best goaltender and even the next 10 or 15 on playoff teams, you still have to have a number one. And if your number one goes down in today's game, you've got big problems, no matter who you are or how talented your roster is. So I think McElhaney has performed very well for Tampa Bay. Do they leave him out to dry at, at times in his starts? Perhaps. I think early on in his tenure here in Tampa Bay, you could have made that case. But my expectations aren't extremely high for him. And I think because of that, every time he gets a start, he's a, a pleasant surprise. And I think he's been fine. I'm not worried about it. Bassey's going to play the majority of the starts, maybe even more so now because of the schedule that they're playing. And if McElhaney can come in and give them a chance to win, then that's all you ask for. I mean, it was the same, same expectation for Louis Domingue, and it was the same expectation for Vassy when he was backing up Ben Bishop. So I think McElhaney's been fine. And I think if we're worrying about Curtis McElhaney, it's probably because we don't have too much to worry about. Yeah, and I had a back and forth with somebody about Louis Domingue, and you know he felt that Domingue is a better option than Curtis McElhaney, and I totally do not agree with that in any way, shape, or form. And if you look at the numbers, and look, everybody, for the back, lack of a better phrase, fell in love with Louis Domingue because of his personality, right? Like the, the antics behind the camera uh, during interviews or the way he came in when the team would put out those videos as the team came off the ice after a victory. And he stepped in when Andre Vasilevsky suffered the fractured foot and, you know, played great. When you look at his numbers – they're very in line with what Curtis McElhaney's numbers were last year. They were, I think, I think Domingue was a 2.55 goals against. I think McElhaney was 2.56. I think Domingue's save percentage was 9.10. McElhaney's was 9.08. So the numbers are very comparable. And I'm not, I'm not counting this year yet because obviously the numbers don't look good um, based on his couple of starts this year. But all you have to know 
I mean, there's a reason when Louis was still under contract with Tampa Bay that Julian Breezeblaw and the pro scouts went out and signed Curtis McElhaney. A, because Domingue was only on a one-year contract, they could sign McElhaney. Domingue made it clear he wasn't going to sign with them again. So that comes into it. But also McElhaney was a proven commodity at that point where Domingue was still trying to resurrect his career. And the fact that McElhaney was sought after by more than a couple of teams and then Domingue, knowing that they were trying to find him a new home, couldn't find Louis Domingue a new home. And it didn't, it took after the season started. So the demand for Louis Domingue, even though he's younger than Curtis McElhaney, was nowhere near what McElhaney's is. And uh, at the end of the day, it's not even close for me. And this is not a knock on Louis Domingue as a person. At the end of the day, my choice of backup goaltenders between those two is Curtis McElhaney seven days a week and twice on Sunday. I, I don't go that far, but I, I can see I can see the argument being made. Look, I, Louis Domingue, I, I said this when he was on his his winning streak in Tampa Bay. He was going to be the one player that was going to get a, a, another opportunity to rejuvenate his career out of all the people who probably weren't going to fit in long-term for the Tampa Bay Lightning. It took him a while, but he got an opportunity to start somewhere else. Now, he flamed out, no doubt about it. And I think he's – is he still in the NHL or he's down in the minors somewhere? I think he's on uh, – well, he was in Vancouver last year. I want to say is he on Calgary's taxi squad this year. Uh, either, either way, he's a number three at best. He is. And you know what? If his career ends up taking the path of Curtis McElhaney in many ways from here on out, I, I can see that same trajectory. Yeah. He got that opportunity because he was he was younger. And I think that was his last opportunity to start in the NHL. And I think it was what with the Devils and he just didn't he didn't perform well. And maybe he became the goaltender everybody thought he was, which was a very capable backup, probably a really strong number three. And if you have to have him come in at the NHL level for a few games and, and play well, he probably can do that. I think that's what you're looking for for Curtis Macklin. If you want to say Curtis is better than Louis Domingue, I'll buy that too. I'll buy that too. Regardless, if you have to rely on McElhaney or Domingue to carry you through a playoff uh, run, you're going to be in a little bit of trouble. And I know McElhaney had some success a couple of years ago. Um you know, playing with Carolina. So maybe there was uh, a little bit more credence to the notion that he might be able to fare better in those situations. But bottom line is I've been pleased with McElhaney. I'm not complaining yeah. one bit. And I think we here in Tampa Bay should feel pretty good that, that the Lightning have a, a very capable and a guy who's willing to accept his role as a backup, which I think also is something that uh, Louis Domingue probably wanted a bigger role and um, I think McElhaney understands where he is a little bit better in his career, which helps, I think. And that can't be discounted because it's not an easy job to be the backup behind a guy like Vasilevsky. Just like it wasn't easy to be the backup behind Marty Verdur. Yeah. I mean, how many, how many games did Chris Terreri play? Like eight, nine games a year? I mean, come on. That's not an easy job to do. Yeah, you're getting paid as an NHL player. But you want to play. They, these guys, they, they, they live to play, right? So – uh, it, so it's not an easy job, and and they've they've mapped it out. They've defined it very well with Curtis. So he, like, there's no surprises with him. He knows he's getting mostly obviously with the back to backs. He'll get one of those, but they're also telling him that he's going to get at least a, a start a week, and you know that kind of helps with his preparation and understanding that okay, you're not going to sit on the bench for two and a half weeks and then have to go in and play a game. You're going to get a game every week, and that's where especially with the schedule 
starting to compress now as we get in the second half of the year, you know, you're going to need Curtis McElhaney to play games. And the only way for him to work through some of this rust is to get him to play games. And I think that's part of this process. And the other part of this whole conversation, which leads into our next topic, is don't expect to trade anyway <laughs> because the Lightning can't do it. They are so cap constrained by trying to make moves that Julian Breesbaugh had his midseason meet with the media the other day. And basically he said they have zero cap space. They have almost no ability to make a move. And if they did make a move, it would have to be dollar in for dollar out. Um, and I just, it's hard to imagine that type of scenario playing out uh, in this environment with the playoffs coming. And then you've got quarantine issues and all that that are still in play as of right now. Um, so even if you didn't think that Curtis McElhaney was a guy, you ain't got no way to go out and, and remedy the situation. So the only yeah. way to remedy it is to let them work through it. And I, I think you hit the nail on the head. They could make a move, but it, it's just going to probably have to be somebody from their top nine or top 12 or top six defensemen or top seven defensemen. So uh, unless you're willing to break up what this team has done to this point, and it, it almost, I think Julian, because of the cap, but also too, when he first took over for Steve Eisman, when they didn't make any moves, and then they got swept in the first round against Columbus. I don't, I don't think Julian was willing to tinker with that group because of the regular season they had. Now you factor that this team has won a cup. You almost wonder if he doesn't want to do anything anyways because he likes what this team has done. He mentioned where they've made some big improvements from this year to last. And I, I think the moves he made for Coleman and Goodrow, as he said, basically set you up for this year as well. So could they use another defenseman? Sure. Would you like to see them maybe get another face-off guy? Yeah. I mean, I think that'd be nice. And maybe there's something to be done there. I do think it's interesting. Some of these younger guys getting an opportunity to play here and there. I think it's not only for their development, which is good. It's not only for uh, the lightnings eyes to see where these guys are in their progression as professionals. But you know what? Maybe it catches the eye of another team who's looking to get a little bit younger and they're willing to part ways with, dare I say, a Luke Lindenning. And maybe you're willing to trade one of those guys for somebody like that on a fourth line who can win some face-offs, who's had a fantastic year. But it, they're smarter. It, it, it's going to make sense from a cap perspective. And I think they, they're not going to tinker too much with anybody on their main roster. It may have to come from a prospect or a draft pick. And we know how tight they can be with those. So is it unlikely? Sure. But I think Julian's probably going to look at, at everything possible, even if it's just a depth piece, to make sure this team is ready to go. Yeah, it, but he can't do what he did last year, right? Like you can't bring in – you can't trade no, futures no. like they did, two first-round draft picks and Nolan Foote to bring in Barkley, Goodrow, and Blake Coleman. And obviously those guys made a huge difference in the playoffs, so obviously it, it, it paid off. But they don't have that ability to do that. That's why he came out and said it basically has to be dollar in for dollar out. And that's why you're seeing – this cap maneuvering that's where this taxi squad this year has really come into play not necessarily and it, it's there because of in case of COVID issues and injuries and the build, ability to call guys up they don't want to leave NHL teams short but it's also helped out teams in cap situations like Tampa Bay to where and this is why we've seen Luke Shen twice this year placed on waivers because in all likelihood he's not going to get claimed and it gives you the ability on those days that he's not playing to shift him over to the taxi squad 
just as we saw the other night in Detroit when Ross Colton played and Luke Shen moved over to the taxi squad, it's basically a wash in terms of salary cap hit. So you're not adding any additional uh, uh, coins to the pot, so to speak, because you know the cap is based uh, on a daily rate. That's how it's accumulated. So they're not adding cap space. So it's given them the flexibility to be able to do this because if you look throughout the season, it's only been basically one healthy scratch per game. And that's usually been Alex Volkoff when he doesn't play because there's a waiver situation that comes in. If you try and send him to the taxi squad, you can't do it unless you put him on waivers first. So they, you know, Julian has been able to maneuver this taxi squad to manipulate the cap, to massage the cap for better term to allow them to stay cap compliant for the whole year and keep this group together. Does that mean he's going to be able to accumulate enough space so that they can make a deal? Because we're, we're coming up on the trade deadline. It's, it's about a month away and it's just hard to see. I think they have needs. I think they, they absolutely need another defenseman. You'd love it to be a right-handed shot, but I think they absolutely need another defenseman. Calfoot has come along fine, but at the end of the day, he is still a rookie. Uh, I have my concerns with Luke Shen. I know that what he brings toughness-wise, but boy, his his lack of speed has really showed uh, in the games that he's played for the most part this year. That's a concern for me. Uh, you have an unknown commodity in Andreas Borgman. You don't know where he fits in. And if one or two of those guys gets injured, and usually in the playoffs that does happen, I have concerns about the depth of this team on the back end. Well, what if do you think they're holding their breath at all if Luke Shen were to get claimed? I think in some ways, yeah, because at least you know what you have in Luke Shen. Right. I mean, what do you... And if who, he gets claimed, that hurts your depth even more. Well, that's the thing. Who's the guy that, that's, that takes his spot? I mean, right. Borgman all, all of a sudden, you know, bumps up. But, I mean, there's no Cameron Gantz. No. Is Luke Witkowski in the organization? He is. He's still playing in Syracuse. I mean, I, I guess hypothetically, would he be, you know, a guy you could... But when he's been up in the NHL with them, he's played forward. I know. I mean, but at least he's played on the back end a bit. He's been playing playing deep in Syracuse for years. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I I guess my point is they understand everybody else's. Yeah, and they they also know. Yeah, there are. And look, maybe this is just where they are. Maybe this is just how it's going to be. That's the one area you can't really address which is one of the reasons why I, I'm very curious to see if a depth defenseman is something he can pull off. And that's why I told you, do you dangle in front of some of these teams who are looking to rebuild some of the younger players we have seen get called up? I'm not advocating for it, but they are in a win-now mode. And we talked about the opportunity that has been presented to them with the Kucherov injury, getting him back and having the season they are let me ask you this. If you have an opportunity to get a depth defenseman, knowing how condensed the schedule is and how taxing it is and how, look, we saw last year Luke Shen playing a lot of games in the playoffs. If it added up and it made sense cap-wise and you had to trade a younger player for a depth defenseman, is there anybody you would consider an untouchable? I'm talking maybe at the forward position too. Like just their young prospects? Prospects or, or like, let's say a Volkov. No, I don't think there's anybody untouchable. It depends on what the player is you're getting back. 
Correct. Whatever that depth defenseman is, yeah. you know, we can define whoever that is. Is is it a a better version of Luke Shen? Is it you know a better version of Cameron Gons? A player like that? Because to your point, you're not going to get a top six, I don't think. But you know, it's and there are no names that are jumping out. I'm sure there are some players out there who are your seventh or eighth defenseman right now on some other teams. Um, it may make sense both ways for each team to make a deal. I- I'm glad you said that. Cause I'm kind of in your boat. I-, I don't know if there's an untouchable right now. And if it makes sense, that defenseman is more valuable come playoff time than I think one of your young forwards, especially if you're in a position where you have a team like this who can score and you're still pretty solid with your core group from here on out as well. Yeah. And I think this is why you've seen, you know, these, these players come up uh, through this season, you know, we got a taste of Volkov last year. He got some games and obviously got the one playoff game in, Um, you know, Matthew Joseph has taken another step uh, in his development and and turned himself into at least a a regular in the lineup. Uh, But, you know, you, you give a Ross Colton a taste, you give an Alex Barry Belay a taste. We expect Taylor Radish at some point since he's been called up to the taxi squad to get a taste. I wouldn't be surprised if Boris Kachuk, gets a call up at some point in the same situation. Not only are you giving these guys an opportunity to get to the NHL level, these are all guys who are also coming out out of their entry-level deals next year. And you have to see where they fit in your NHL system. Can they play at the NHL level? How do they handle those first couple of games? The next time you bring them up, how do they look compared to the first time? That's all part of this process that this team has done for the past decade uh, when they bring in their young players. So it's not only that, it's not only giving them a taste and seeing where they stand, it's also seeing what kind of commodity could they be when it comes to potentially trading. And when you have internal competition, for lack of a better phrase, in this circumstance, that plays into it too. You know, who's going to shine better? You know, who can perform better? Because they know next year there could be jobs open. Because as we mentioned, they're just kicking the salary cap issues down the line till next year when Julian's going to have to deal with it again. Um, there'll be jobs open next year. And these guys are auditioning for that. They're auditioning for uh, what kind of a trade ship could they be? They're auditioning for the next contract. There's so much that goes into when these young players come up and it's all part of it. We had Derek Lalonde on power lunch last week, Dave Michigan and I, and I could get the sense reading the tea leaves, and I'm sure you've you've picked up on this as well. I think they basically look at Ross Colton very high on him, but I think they picture him as a third or fourth line guy. I think they really like Alex Baraboulet. I think the couple of games he's played has opened up their eyes a bit. Does that translate into top six minutes next year? I don't know. But I feel like if they were to give up on one of their younger players currently on the roster playing for the Lightning, that they feel like there are a couple of guys at least that can immediately fill a void. And we're also talking about too, you know, some, some players that have stepped up and have played uh, pretty well recently as well, who are improving, whether that's a, you know, a Yanni Gord or an Alex Kalorn, who I even think is, is getting better since the Stanley cup run Andre Pilat. So again, you still have the big guns to kind of lean on for the next few years. You're going to have to tinker with your roster here and there for sure, especially with a cap basically staying flat. But I get the sense they've got a couple of guys down in Syracuse who we've seen get called up, who have performed pretty well, that they may take on a bigger role next year 
and maybe that allows them to make another move this year to acquire a depth defenseman, so to speak. Yeah, I, I totally agree. It, it, like these moves are not done for the here and now. The, these things are being done for bigger pictures. It, it's certainly here and now factors into it because if they come in and just wow them, well, then, then look, they've earned their opportunity. But, you know, there's always a bigger picture thing at play when you're talking about prospects. And, um, you know, I, I've liked the way Alex Barry Boulay has looked. I think that, uh, I mean, he's gotten a shot off. You know, he's got, looks like he's got a really quick release. And we knew that uh, based on the scouting points from him. Uh, I still think there's some foot speed he needs to get better at, but he's come a long way. Uh, as is the case with a lot of guys in this organization, I mean, you know, Braden Point and Anthony Sorelli are two of the poster boys for how you can improve your skating. Uh, so he's coming along in that aspect and they really worked with him on it. And he's gotten a ton better uh, from his first development camp a couple of years ago. So that's a great sign that he's put in the work. Uh, so yeah, he's, he, they, there's probably a thought process that he's a, for the scoring prowess that he's had from his days in the queue to his two years in Syracuse, where he's been a top scorer in the league for two years that he's probably a top six type of guy uh, so yeah, you you can absolutely see that in the in a next year picture type of thing with jobs being open, he could be a, a top six kind of guy. And those are not easy to find. Those guys are, um, you know, they're not a dime a dozen uh, guys that can contribute. And when you have a core like this team does, and we know that pieces are going to have to start to be picked off of because of the salary cap, you need guys that can come in and, and fill that role. And I think that Barbie down the line can be one of those guys. Um, and he, and he's it's only two games, but I think he showed a lot in those two games, a lot more. He showed a lot in these two games to me, a lot more than I've seen in any of the training camps that he's been to or any of the exhibition games that he's been involved in. Yeah. And I, you know, he's, he's worked on a skating, so we'll see if that's an issue, but it, it looks like he's closed the gap at least from when he first turned professional. And I think that's the biggest thing he's had to work on. And if he can skate, um, you know, as Brian Engblom said, he's really smart. You know, he's got good instincts, really good instincts. He dominated at the AHL level. I think that's something that's a little underrated. You want to see your prospects do well down in the minors before they get called up. And he did that. And that that's good to see. And it was interesting when he did get called up. They put him right away with, um, was it Gordon Kalorn? Yep. You know, sometimes we don't see that. We, we see the younger players get put on a fourth line. And I think at times it's for a guy like Volkov, it's been a challenge because he's had to change the way he plays. And I think some some guys, given the opportunity, run with it a bit more. And I think right now, Barry Boulay and Ross Colton would be ahead of everybody else. And then I think Jamel Smith is probably right behind them. And then uh, we'll, we'll kind of see and evaluate some of these other players that get an opportunity to play. But those are three guys, I think, that have opened up some eyes in terms of the future for the Lightning. And I think that's been a positive development. Yeah, they did something else with Barry Boulay we don't uh, often see with young players. He got power play time right away. He did. <laughs> almost never happens with his coaching staff. So that tells you what they think of him right there uh, to put him in those opportunities. Uh, all right, before we get to questions, and we got some really good ones, uh, we need to make sure we take care of our friends at Manscaped. If you go to manscaped.com, if you use the keyword bolts, you get free shipping plus 20% off your entire order. And uh, you've heard us talk about their great products here on this podcast for a while now and uh i, I live by them you know the, uh, the, the lotions the cologne the lawnmower the weed whacker it's all great stuff folks i hope you take a take a look at it uh and and, and kind of pick through 
what you like because they get a, and it's an ever expanding list of products as well. Um, that is, there's just more coming. There is, and it'll have you looking fresh. As I've said to you before, E, it's uh, never a bad thing. Uh, even when you get older and you get really old like you, you know, sometimes you, you just you have that. to, yeah, you just have to, you have to stay ready. And uh, the cologne is something I think we both like. Uh, oh yeah. Well. And I'm not, I'm not usually a cologne guy, uh, but I've started to wear it lately. And, and I, I saw, I, I saw really you like drink. It. I saw you at the rink yesterday. And I gotta, I gotta be honest. You smelled pretty good. <laughs> smelled pretty good. I, I'm going to take that as a compliment. I appreciate that. You should. Uh, yeah. Make sure you check it out again. Manscaped.com. Use the keyword bolts. You get 20% off your order plus free shipping. It's a great deal. Go check them out. Don't be left out. Make sure you subscribe to the Lightning Insider on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else where podcasts are found. Now, here again is Eric. All right. Some really good questions. I'm going to trickle back to a couple that we didn't get in last week that came in a little late. Uh, the first one came from Faye, who asked, did I miss it? Yes, yes, Faye, you missed last week. But we're going to get you in this week. Who do you protect Seattle from taking, and why is it probably McDonough? Um, yeah, this is going to be an interesting expansion draft because the rules are the same as it was for Vegas when they came into the league, where teams are allowed to either protect seven forwards, three defensemen, and a goalie, or eight skaters and a goalie. And for this team, that's huge because, first of all, the no-move clauses have to have uh, expansion protection unless they choose not to. So. The players with no-move clauses this year are going to be Andre Vasilevsky, but that's a no-brainer. Steven Stamkos, Victor Hedman, and Nikita Kucherov. Those are your four players with no-move clauses. So who do you protect after that? Well, you're going to protect Mikhail Sergachev. You're probably going to protect Cal Foote. You're going to protect Braden Point, and you're probably protecting Anthony Sorelli. There's your list. There's your list of eight skaters and a goalie right there because you have to go beyond the three defensemen. What does that mean for Ryan McDonough? Does that mean Seattle takes him? Does that mean everybody wants to talk about Tyler Johnson because of his roots and from Spokane, even though Spokane is actually four hours away from Seattle, but it is a Washington state player who is a Stanley cup champion. You know, his name comes up a lot for a lot of reasons. Um, but there's a good chance that a guy like Ryan McDonough, they're not able to protect him the expansion draft. I just don't know if Seattle will take them. That is a very, very interesting question because McDonough has played better this year, I think, than last. We have seen him be very good on that left side. The thing about McDonough that you would use against him is even though he's 31, he's got a lot of mileage, and that contract may scare you. I mean, he's basically making almost $7 million a year until 2025, 26. So while you have cost control in some ways, he's probably on the wrong side of 30 for a team like that to invest that type of money into him. Is Eric Chernak. Somebody <laughs> yeah. with that. You know, a younger guy, physical right. defenseman, two point right million. Right hand shot. Everybody covers right hand, hand shot. shot. Yeah, that to me would be an interesting guy. Um, you know, Tyler Johnson, look, if he plays well and he's starting to, then maybe you look at his contract and say, you know what? 
we're going to have some pretty good players he's playing with. He's he's clearly more comfortable playing center. But then again, how does a how does a guy react playing playing in his hometown too? Sometimes that can be a disaster. Yep. So me, when I'm looking at this, we also know they can have deals that they work out too. E. They can. Just and as so maybe there, they. Yeah, maybe there's a, a backdoor deal that's done. It's like, listen, we don't want you to take Chernak. So what can we do? <laughs> yeah. But if you're asking me. And I'm just looking at really looking at this for the first time. I think McDonough and Johnson are the obvious ones. I think if you do a deeper dive into their situation, if I am Seattle, I am more likely to go Chernak because of the age, the experience, the position, and his contract. Well, and, and think of some of the other players we haven't talked about that are not going to be able to be protected, that are going to be available. Andre Pilat, Alex Kalorn, Yanni Gord. I mean, there's some some key players. I, mean, I guess the way to look at this is that you have to set your expectations up without talking about backdoor deals or side deals that Julian can pull off with Ron Francis, the right. GM in Seattle, that this team is going to lose a pretty good player one way or the other to the expansion draft. And you just have to set yourself up for that most likely happening. Uh, they found a way around it in the last time, you know, the Jonathan Druan for Mikhail Sergachev deal. Druan would have had to have been protected. Sergachev did not have to. That solved one of the problems there uh, in the way they did it. And of course they made the, the deal. I think they would have sent a second round draft pick at Nikita Gusev to Vegas uh, for them to take uh, Jason Garrison on the expansion draft. So that possibility does exist, but if we're going to take that out of the equation, one way or the other, the lightning Let me ask this. Let me ask you this. I, I think this is an interesting question. What's the bigger blow to this organization? Losing McDonough or Chernock? Off the top of my thought, I would say Chernock because you, you're so loaded on the left-hand side with Hedman and, and Sergachev that you can, if, if you lose McDonough as your number two pairing, you just move Mikhail Sergachev up. If you lose an Eric Chernak, who's a right-handed shot defenseman, you don't have anybody to replace him. And you don't have anybody in the system that can replace him. You don't have anybody in you don't your have anybody like him that does what he can do at his size in a right-handed shot D. You just don't you have, have You have nobody like him in your organization. Nope. Now, that doesn't mean they can't go out and trade for one. But boy, oh boy, I, I got to tell you, I don't think they protect him because I think the guys you named, those are no no brainers. Mm-hmm. But man, if you if you could extend that list to one more player, <laughs> yeah, I think Chernak might make that list. I I don't disagree with you because, because you don't have of the need, Yeah, you have nobody. So maybe we just, I don't know. Maybe we solve some problems here. I don't. Chernak is a little bit more valuable than people think. And yeah. again, at, at 23, that's the thing. At 23, I think a team would eat that up. Just think of how we reacted when Chernak missed the two games earlier in the year. And then the hit he took in Chicago and the fear, yeah. the fear that he was going to miss significant time. That's all you know, all you have to know about how valuable Eric Chernak is in this lineup right now because of what he can do on the right-hand side. They just don't have anybody to play the right-hand side and do what he can do as a right-handed shot. 
we know Sergachev can move over to the right-hand side. He's comfortable there. Uh, but in terms of a right-handed shot, that's a huge, huge void to fill. If this may be Maybe this may be something that isn't too popular. At this point, I'd almost rather keep Chernak than Calfoot. Interesting. Interesting. I can see that. I can see it's that. Not, I mean, it's I, it's really not a knock on foot. No. I, I I just think they don't have anybody like Chernak, and they have enough guys with Hedman and Sergachev who can do things offensively that not many other defensemen can do. See, what I'm saying is Hedman and Sergachev. They're there for the foreseeable future. I mean, they're, they're there for the next five, seven years. I mean, Brian Engblom thinks Sergachev can win a Norse. That's how high he is on him. I, I think Kyle Foote's good. I mean, I, you know, he hasn't wowed me, but I, you know, he's a young defenseman. I, I understand that. But Chernak has been in this top four role now for a couple of years. And you do, I, I look, I don't, I don't believe too much in fighting and answering the bell, answering the call, however you want to phrase it. I do think he needs some snarl back there. Yep. He does that. He has it. He has it. All right. From Joyce, this is a question from last week, but we're going to uh, move it up to this week's numbers. Uh, she asked, it's a good thing that the Lightning are plus 35 on goal differential. It's actually plus 37 now. And no player is more than 24 points or 11 goals. Correct. Scoring is spread around and it's harder for teams to defend. Am I wrong? No, Joyce, you are not wrong. That is the strength of this team, that you don't have to rely on 91 or 21 to have to provide all of your offense. It spreads around, and when you have the depth this team has, this is a big reason why they were able to win the Stanley Cup last year. They present matchup issues for other teams because, okay, you want to try and go out and shut down Braden Point's line while Anthony Sorelli's line and do some damage, okay? You're able to slow down Anthony Sorelli. Well, guess what? Yanni Gord and that coleman Goodrow line can go out and score some goals, as they did in that, uh, the game against the Islanders where they scored back twice after giving up a goal. That's what makes this team hard to defend against. So uh, spot on by Joyce there that having a goal differential and your offense spread around makes you that much harder of a team to deal with. This is why they're, they're so much better than a lot of teams out there. It's their depth scoring. We've seen this over the last couple of years. And not only up front, but their back end too. Their back end can contribute offensively, which we just talked about. It's as deep a team as you're going to see in the salary cap era. And that's why they were given an opportunity that not many teams would get with Kucherov being on long-term IR, but having the team basically come back the same. You knew they were, you knew they were going to make the playoffs, which I, you know, obviously they officially, they haven't done it, but we feel pretty strongly that's going to happen. You've been given a great opportunity to repeat with basically the same team. And uh, the reasons why is because you can move Yanni Gord up in the lineup. You can move Sorelli playing with Braden points. You can drop a, a Tyler Johnson if you have to. You can play Blake Coleman and, and Barkley Goodrow in a way that allows you to not miss a beat offensively at times. So it's as deep as team as you're going to see in today's NHL. It's fun to watch. From Paul, and this is a two-parter because he asked it in two different parts. Uh, this is in relation to the new... TV deal that the NHL just signed with uh, ESPN slash Disney. Uh, what does the new deal mean for lightning games next season and beyond in terms of television? It has nothing to do with the relationship between the lightning and Fox sports sun, which is going to be rebranded here pretty soon as Bally sports sun. That is a completely separate entity in terms of contract negotiations and broadcasts. 
than it is from this national deal. This deal that the NHL just signed is for a national deal. So just think NBC. What effect has NBC had on Tampa Bay's partnership with Fox Sports? Very little because it's, it's all about the national exposure um, and how many games ESPN slash ABC slash Hulu wants to put on their programming. Um, that's as very, it may take a couple of games away from the local deal. So for people looking, if this is going to change this situation between Sinclair, the uh, parent company of Fox sports and frontier broadcasting, which is not uh, housing Fox sports on right now, it has no effect on it whatsoever. I'm sorry to tell you, that's not going to change because of this deal with ESPN and the other part of the question that Paul has, well, and the other one, the other one is too, is NHL.TV is going away. NHL TV now will now switch over to ESPN Plus. So it's if you already had ESPN Plus, A, expect a price increase. B, that's where they're going. Those games are going to be housed now uh, instead of on NHL.TV or your centerized package. Uh, the other part of the question from Paul is, what impact does the Disney deal have on the salary cap? Sadly, not much at all in the short term because of the losses that the league has had due to the pandemic, it's going to take a while to get things back to where they were. Remember, they always said that the cap was going to remain flat at 81.5 until league revenues got back up to the, I think it was 3.1 billion that allowed the salary cap to be where it was. It was actually supposed to go up this year, but Gary Batman even came out and said they expect the cap to remain flat for four years. So in the short term, this deal doesn't have a huge impact on the salary cap. We know that there's likely another contract out there for a secondary partner, similar to what the NBA does and what MLB does. Uh, so not just, it won't just be ESPN slash ABC. Maybe NBC will be that second partner and you'll get games on NBC split those. So that'll add to it. But sadly, as great of a deal this is, it doubles what the league was getting from the NBC deal. It's not going to have certainly not the impact that lighting fans would want to see to get the cap to go up because of the situation that they're in over the next couple of years in the short term. The expansion fee, I think, helps out, too. And, uh, you know, it does, but that does not count towards hockey related revenue. So it does not affect the cap at all. That's a good point. It's going to help the owners. They're going to have they're going to, you know, take their share of that expansion fee. But that does nothing for hockey related revenue. That's a very good point. The the ESPN deal is interesting because the sense I got E was this was more about the streaming aspect than anything else. And, you know, we'll see how that affects fans out there who want who want to catch other games outside of the lightning. The other thing, too, is I, I'm, I'm curious, you know, we, we talk about ESPN. Let's be very frank. ESPN's not the same ESPN they were 15, 20 years ago. There are a lot of people that don't watch ESPN anymore for various reasons. and. I'll be curious to see how a network who basically avoided the NHL after they no longer had to cover them will now have to do a complete 180 and dedicate a lot of time and resources to it. You've got to get quality broadcasters. You've got to get credibility back. I'm curious to see how that plays out because there are a lot of people we talk about cutting the cord when it comes to cable. Um, You know, it, it averages out in terms of dollar figure what you pay for ESPN, it's more than I think a lot of people think and should be paying for what you're getting. 
So I am, I, I'm just being, I'm trying to be practical about it. I, I'm, I'm very curious to see how ESPN pulls it off. I, I have no doubt from a professional standpoint, they'll, they'll be very good. It's more of the credibility. And do people go back to ESPN to watch hockey? And does it really increase viewership? We'll see how that plays out. Yeah, let's face it. The, the, the point you made about they're looking at it from a streaming aspect, I think that's where they're banking on it. Because let's face it, they're not going to bump Major League Baseball. They're not bumping the NBA. They're certainly not bumping the NFL off of their regular programming for NHL games. So when it comes to where does, M- where does hockey slot in in their tier of sports, it probably slots in behind college basketball. So you're talking about on a network that carries all of those entities, the NHL is, is at least fifth on that list of priorities. But if you have the streaming option, I think that's where they see the, uh, the growth because we know that the streaming is just exploding right now with you know Hulu and Disney Plus and Paramount Plus just launched and Peacock and all these other areas that are launching their own uh, streaming services as <clears throat> Bally slash Fox Sports Sun is trying to do down the road. Um, Interesting question here, and I've gotten this one quite a bit uh, from Tampa Sports Grill. Now that the banner has been raised, any word on the championship ring? I don't have specifics on the rings. I do know that they're behind schedule. I don't think they were even in the process of ordering them or getting things together. I think it was right around the beginning of January that they started to put this process together. So to get the number of rings together, to get them made, to get them built, uh, I'm sure it's going to be some extravagant design, as we know these teams get for the players that win championships. Um, we're probably still a little ways away from knowing when the team's going to get their championship rings. Yeah, I have nothing to add there. Uh, hopefully it's before the year ends, but you know, we'll – We'll keep everybody posted once we hear something, but I, I've, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, that's a safe bet that'll be before the end of the season. Yeah. Um, from Woody, uh, thoughts on Cal Foot's rookie performance so far, and do you think they make a move for run of the right-handed B? Uh, we did discuss the trade options. I think Cal Foot's come along a little bit faster than I expected. The fact that he's been pretty much a regular in the lineup here for the past three plus weeks, I think gives you an indication of how his progression is coming along. Uh, he's not going to wow you, but we've seen a couple of times where he's really jumped in the play uh, and he's done it at the right times. Young players, sometimes they get too eager when they're asked to be as aggressive as the lighting ass or defenseman to be. And sometimes that can get them in trouble. I haven't seen that with him. Uh, I think he needs to get stronger uh, along the walls. I think he needs to be more of a puck winner because of the size that he has in the corners. I think that's an area where I'd like to see him improve a little bit, but I think overall, based on my expectations for him this year, I think he's exceeded them to this point because I think his progression is a little bit long further along than I would have thought. Yeah. I'm always cautious, especially with young defensemen to um, give them too much of a, a grade. I mean, I, I think one thing that has stood out for me is he's got a pretty big shot. And I think we saw that on his goal. He's not been given big minutes, and in many ways, that's fine. But I think he's progressed enough where you feel like next year he could take another step, depending on, especially too, if they lose somebody that we just discussed not too long ago. So, look, he's, he's valuable to this organization, not only because of where he was drafted and the bloodlines, but also to the lack of depth that they do have back there. So I think you value 
young defensemen a bit more. And which is one of the reasons why we talked about Chernak so much uh, a little bit ago, but I, I think he has made improvements. I'm, I'm not going to judge him too, too much. Cause I, I just, I need to see more. He's, he's playing what 10, 12 minutes a night. He's sometimes less, sometimes a little bit more. And I think let's put it this way. It's not like I've watched him and have said, man, he's, he's looked really out of place. I mean, I think he's fitting in well. Uh, I'd like to see him use a shot a little bit more. I see, I'd like to see you get him, get his shot off quicker a bit because I think he has a big bomb. And those are some things I want to see moving forward. Yep. Uh, the, the one good thing you can say is he hasn't looked overwhelmed. And that's, that's, correct. that's a good sign of the young defenseman. That is correct. Um, from Eddie, uh, what do you think about point season so far? No doubt he's been exceptional, uh, exceptional, but maybe not quite the continuation of his performance of last year's playoffs. I realize no Kucherov and a little bit of bad puck luck, but would love your read. Um, look, he went through a stretch where he only had the one goal in 11 games. It wasn't from a lack of opportunities. There's yeah. no doubt about that. He had plenty of opportunities. I think it is a continuation. Maybe the points aren't there. Uh, he hasn't picked up the power play points. Uh, they just now really started to get him more involved from that bumper spot and trying to set plays up for him. We saw him score that goal against Detroit uh, that way. Um, so they're getting him more involved in, in, a, in a shot opportunity on the power play. But I think in a lot of ways, this isn't continuation of him in the postseason because I'm still seeing a Braden Point who drives his line. And we always talk about that, especially with centers. How do you drive your line? Are you, are you pulling players with you? And you watch him with the puck on a stick. I just go back to the goal he scored against Nashville on Saturday. He picks up the puck at center ice. And he just makes an absolutely brilliant move across the top of the zone and then shoots across his body to the far post. That's a brilliant shot. And it was interesting to hear Blake Coleman talk about it saying, when you've got 15 guys on your bench going, did you see that? You've got a special player. And those are the kind of special plays that he can make. I think in a lot of ways, just because the points aren't there for him and he finished one point behind Nikita Kucherov in playoff scoring, doesn't mean he's not having the same type of style of play because I've seen plenty of that. Look, everything you said, I agree. You know how I feel about Braden Points. I think he's their most dynamic player. He is electric on his, on his skates. I mean, the guy, I don't know sure there's a better skater in the league with the puck at the forward position than Braden Point. I would say the only thing I'm seeing him do a little bit more this year is he drives in the offensive zone and then pulls up a lot, maybe a little bit more than I'm used to seeing. And that just could be, I, I think, the other team defending him a little bit better than in previous years because they know you give him time and space. He's going to, he's going to hurt you pretty much every single time, but you know, he's basically average of point per game. It's, it's hard to quibble with a guy like that. Who's, who's been, who's been so dynamic. I do find it interesting. They've kept Sorelli on that line. I, I'm curious to see if that lasts or, you know, come playoff time. Do they go back to what we saw last year? Yeah, well, look, I mean, the lines are always fluid. There'll be a time when these lines are broken up, too, and it's really go back to center. But the, the interesting part for me there is Tyler Johnson's game has kind of come alive a little bit back in the middle. Yeah. We talked about that, and he's found some pretty decent chemistry with Goodrow and, and Coleman. Uh, so, that you know, do you pull Tyler Johnson out of that spot? Do you put Yanni Gordon on the wing? I just, that's a speculation down the road. But uh, know that the lines are not set in stone. They will be broken up and it'll be interesting to see what they move to from them. 
Uh, good question here from uh, Jake, who's not from State Farm. Uh, with news that Eric Carlson is unhappy about a possible Sharks rebuild, do you still think JBB, Julian Griezball, would consider a trade for him, even if it costs a ton without touching the core of this team? Jake, I'm, I'm sad to tell you that that pirate ship sailed. There is no interest in bringing in Eric Carlson and his $11 million contract to this team. Number one, they can't afford it anyway. Number two, Carlson's game is not at the level it was when they were pursuing him a couple of years ago. Injuries have slowed him down. Probably the situation he's in in San Jose has slowed him down. This is not the same Eric Carlson that Tampa Bay was really trying to get a hold of to pair with Victor Hedman a couple of years ago. I don't think it's under consideration in any way. Yeah, and I, I, you know what type of player are you getting with Carlson, too? I mean, defensively, still there's some issues there. There's some health issues. That's just not going to happen. From Meg, uh, how likely do you think it is that the Lightning get to keep both uh, Blake Coleman and Barkley Goodrow or both? I don't want to lose either. Uh, as we just talked about with the picking the cap situation, down the line, there's a good chance that both of those guys aren't back. And I think if there's a chance that you get to keep one of them beyond this season, it's more likely going to be Barkley Goodrow than Blake Coleman. And that has nothing to do with wanting to keep Blake Coleman. I think Blake Coleman's salary uh, tier is going to double from what it is right now. One of the big things when they acquire Blake Coleman from New Jersey before the trade deadline last year, how many times did you hear Julian Breesbaugh talk about outperforming a contract? And when you have a player who's, uh, uh, his contract is way under his performance value. What's that mean the next time his contract comes around? The contract goes way up. Uh, and under those circumstances, I find it hard to think that you can keep Blake Coleman beyond this season. Goodrow wouldn't be as expensive, but as I told somebody the other day, you'd be surprised what happens to your resume and your earning potential when you've won a Stanley Cup in the role that Barkley Goodrow played it. So on an open market, what would Barkley Goodrow attract? And that you have to start to kind of think about. I think there's a good chance that you're not able to keep both of those guys. I was going to say, you know, it's funny. And the one guy I can kind of look at who got a big deal that was basically a role player. And I think that's basically what Goodrow is. He's a really good role player. Um, Tanov with the Pittsburgh Penguins. He look at his contract, which Jim Rutherford gave him. It was like six years and, you know, three, four million dollars. It's pretty impressive for a guy that's basically hit 10, 15 goals a year, but they got him as a third, fourth line guy who can kill some penalties. I agree with you. I, I think that's where teams sometimes get themselves in trouble when they are overpaying for players. And that's what happens in free agency. You overpay for guys. Um, I could see both of them not being here. I think I think Coleman could be a top six guy in a lot of, te- a lot of teams. He may want to get that opportunity and you win a couple of cups or one cup, you want to move on and, and see what you can do and some other challenges you can take down. So I, I think there's a very good chance that both of those guys aren't back. I tend to agree that if the market is not crazy, Goodrow is probably somebody you could keep or have a better chance at keeping, but I don't know. I think, I think a couple of teams will probably overpay for both those guys. Well, when I asked Julian that the other day, you know, have you had conversations or thoughts about trying to keep both those guys basically said every decision we're making right now is for this year. And we'll worry about next year, next year. I think that gives you a little insight without him actually saying anything about it as to what they know they're up against. So um, from Lee, 
Uh, based on your observations this year, what style of play do you think the Lightning struggle with the most? And with that in mind, which teams are the biggest threats in a five to seven game series? Uh, I think they've struggled a little bit um, with Carolina's game because Carolina is a fast, aggressive, in-your-face kind of team. Tampa Bay is a team that likes to have the puck a lot. They like to have plays develop. They like to create plays. They like to get in off the rush. They can forecheck. It's a big part of their game. But this is a team that really likes to create off the rush. And with the way Carolina plays, in-your-face doesn't give you the time and space. They've struggled with it at times. I mean, let's – Face it, those two teams have played, what, five times this year? Um, one of them was a one nothing overtime game. Uh, I think I think, I think think you could probably say in one of the five games, Tampa Bay's been the better team, even though they won three of them. Uh, Carolina has given them all kinds of fits, and I think that's the type of game that Tampa Bay can struggle with. Is As fast of a team as they are, when another team is as fast as they are yeah. and can play like Carolina does, I think that's where they struggle. They, I, I've told you this. They're the team that makes me the most uncomfortable. I think Florida made Tampa Bay a little uncomfortable at times this year, and they play similarly to Carolina. They're fast. So I think a team that's fast that gets up on their defensemen in the defensive zone and forces them into some turnovers. I think the Lightning at times can be discombobulated when a team is on them, and it's not just the defensemen. It's the forwards. I, I think they have a tendency to make one too many passes in their own zone. And I think, uh, look, it's easier said than done. And to do that for 60 minutes against the Lightning is really hard to do. So it's it's a tough task for those teams in a seven-game series. But I, I would agree with you. I think Carolina, and to a lesser extent, Florida would, uh, would be the teams that give them some problems. Which begs the question, do you, do you feel you have to push for first place in the Central Division this year, knowing yeah. that a 2-3 matchup would be if – if Tampa Bay finished in second, they wouldn't – face either Carolina or Florida in the first round? Do you think you have to push first place and most likely get that matchup against Chicago? I'll answer this question. I think they're going to do everything they can to win their division because I, I just think that's what hockey players do. But I don't think that's a death sentence if they're not. Let's put it that way. Yep. Uh, from Keith, I like this question. Who is the next prospect fans can get excited about? Is there even one in the system with the team's recent success in trading number one picks and top prospects? They don't have any what I would consider A prospects. You know, this is what happens when you pick outside the top 10, top 15, where you trade your first-round draft pick. Maybe they traded Nolan Foot in that deal. They traded uh, Brett Howden a couple years ago. They traded Libor Hayek in the, in the deal with the Rangers a couple years ago. So they traded away any of their so-called top-tier um, prospects. Uh, there's not – Barry Boulay – if you want to count him as that, because we've only seen him in two NHL games, he's probably near the top of the list. But if you dig a little bit deeper beyond that, uh, the, the hockey, the hockey news is actually getting ready to come out with their prospects issue. If it's not on shelves or, you know, available online yet, the number one rated prospect in the system is actually goaltender. Hugo Amafelt, who plays in Sweden. He played in the world juniors the last couple of years. He led, uh, Sweden to a gold medal at the world under 18s a couple years ago. He's a guy that you kind of keep an eye on, but if we're not going to talk about goaltenders, I think you've got to look at this year's draft class from the 2020 draft. The, the, their top two picks are the guys to keep an eye on the, the most. Jack Finley, who's six foot six. Uh, he plays um, actually in Spokane where Tyler Johnson's from and, and play his junior hockey. They, he was very impressive when he was here in camp, uh, I've had a chance to talk to Stacy Roost, 
the GM for Syracuse and the opportunity that they normally wouldn't have had to have, you know, junior players play in the AHL this year because none of the junior leagues were really playing at the time. He got into a game and really stood out. Uh, the, the size certainly grabs your attention, but he's got good hands. He skates well for a player of his size. Uh, so keep an eye on Jack Finley. Keep an eye on Gage Goncalves, who is a typical overachiever lightning type of player. Uh, overage player, he was bypassed his first year of eligibility in the draft. The Lightning, as we've seen them do, chose Goncalves with their second second round draft pick. They actually acquired a second second round draft pick to be able to pick him. Uh, he is a he is a hard worker. Uh, his offensive game really picked up. He was part of Team Canada's World Junior Evaluation Camp this past year. He plays for Everett in the Western Hockey League. Uh, those are two guys you're not going to see them on the radar here for a couple of years. Uh, but those are two guys that I really would keep an eye on. Uh, and then beyond that, maybe um, uh, Nick Perbix, who's a defenseman who plays for what about Sammy Walker. Sammy about Walker is on the list. Uh, yeah. You know, Sammy Walker, if anybody remembers Sammy Walker, when he showed up for his first development camp, he was about five foot five. Can skate like the wind. He's got offensive skills for days. Uh, he can really, in open ice, he can do stuff with the puck a lot of other players can't do. He shot up about six inches from his, I think, his second development camp to his third development camp. I remember Sam and Walker walking in the room going, holy crap, Sammy, how many inches did you grow? And he just kind of grinned, uh, you know, because he knew he shot up. Uh, there's another guy. He plays for University of Minnesota to kind of keep an eye on down the road, too. It'll be interesting to see if he signs coming out of college this year. I think he's a junior. This year, this is usually the year you start to kind of look for college players that you drafted uh, if they're ready to come out after their third year. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if the lighting can get him to come out. He, he, yeah, he's actually one of the rare guys who enters college as a true freshman. Uh, so he did enter at 18, 21 now. Uh, but he's a captain at the University of Minnesota, very story program. Uh, so he's another guy to kind of keep an eye on. Again, none of these guys are A-plus or even grade A prospects, but they get a lot of really good B-level prospects to kind of keep an eye on. I agree. I think Walker's the guy, you know, captain, I think, too, the last couple of years, which is yep. something they like a great deal. Yep, they do. And we got two questions here from Al. Uh, defenses look tired the past few games, especially McDonough. Uh, the 11-7 format that they had uh, against Nashville, no one played over 22 minutes. Do you think Cooper goes 11-7 with Borgman instead of Shen? Does Vasilevsky get the starts? Uh, I don't know. Well, and we, you know, we already talked about the goaltending situation and how that schedule plays out. I, I, I agree with a certain extent that I worry about overtaxing your top four guys, especially the three guys on the left side, because Hedman's been playing 25, 27, sometimes 29 minutes a night. Um, McDonough's been up around 25, 26 uh, uh, many a night. Uh, Mikhail Sergachev, you don't worry too much about the younger guys in, in the uh, advanced ice time. I, I worry about it, though, with the compressed schedule that this team plays. Remember, the games against Chicago, the back-to-backs in that three-game set, Thursday and Friday, have been played 29 minutes one night, 30 minutes the next. Now, both those games did go to overtime. But that's a lot of ice time to log on back-to-back nights, even for a guy like Victor Hedman, who is as efficient of a skater as he is. Uh, I do worry about fatigue with this defensive group uh, under this compressed schedule. Now, in the playoffs, it's a different story. I think you, if you have to roll with four, Chicago rode, rode that to the Cups in five years, so it can be done. But to be able to make them fresher for the playoffs, you kind of have to cut back on some of their minutes in the regular season. 
Yeah, and I think we've seen this a bit with the forwards throughout the year where I think you asked the question after the one game with the the time down with it might have been plots and points and, and Cooper just kind of said this way the game unfolded. I think they're going to have to do that, assuming that they're not fighting for a playoff spot. I, I think you're going to have to monitor the minutes of Henman and McDonough, and I think you're going to have to play Borgman a bit more to see what you have because I agree with you. You know what you have in Shen? They're comfortable with him, but if Borgman can skate, you can always put Shen in for him if you choose to go that route. But I'd like to see if there's some upside there with Borgman in these games come up. Yep, and of course, the taxi squad waiver situation comes into play, so we'll see what they do with that. Uh, last question, another one from Al. Of all the young guns, uh, he lists Volkov, uh, Matthew Joseph, Barry Boulay, Ross Colton, Mitchell Stevens, who do you think has shown the most? Didn't include Radish because we haven't seen him much and not sure where Jamel Smith fits in. And Jamel Smith is a little bit older than all those other guys that, that Al mentioned here. Um, again, we've, we've talked about Jamel Smith and how much I've liked his game, Greg. I know you have as well when he's played. So we'll just narrow this list down to the, to the five that Al gave. Um, I, I mean, I, we're waiting for more on Mitchell Stevens. The injury obviously set him back. He's probably not back for at least another month before we get a look at him. Uh, Colton uh, flashed onto the scene with his goal on his second shift. Um, Barry Boulay, I think, stood out the most uh, of, of any of the, the young players that have come up that we've seen. I think Matthew Joseph has taken a huge step. I think we expected more out of Alex Volkov this year based on the fact that he got into game six of the Stanley Cup final last year. I would say of those five guys that have shown the most, if we're just talking this year, it's probably Matthew Joseph because Matthew Joseph was at a point in his career where he knew he had to be better. He needed to improve and he went out and he did it and he's earned himself an opportunity uh, to be in the lineup on a regular basis this year. And he's been spread second line, third line, fourth line, shifting from wing to center, everything that I've asked him to do, he's coming and do it. So if we're going to base it on what we've seen this year, who was shown the most, I would say Matthew Joseph, who has the best potential down the road. I would say Alex Barry Yeah, I would agree with you. I think Matthew Joseph has established himself as an, a, a regular in the National Hockey League. I think Volkov and Stevens may be incomplete for me this year. And you can, to a lesser extent, you can say the same thing with Barry Boulay and Colton. But I feel like Barry Boulay and Colton have shown more in a small amount of time, a shorter amount of time than Stevens and Volkov this year. And I would put them ahead of those two guys at this point. Yep. Great questions. Uh, that filled a lot of time, but as always, man, that's, that's some of my favorite parts of these shows that we do. And certainly when I was doing uh, the Lightning lunch show um, on power play, that was always my favorite part was, answering questions from you guys because uh it's very interactive and i love being interactive all right busy schedule coming up for tampa bay um you've got a four o'clock game on monday please note that time it's a four o'clock start on monday i've had a lot of people ask about that four o'clock start it's it's done because they want to give the lightning three extra hours of rent that's it's it's pure and simple that because they've squeezed in this dallas game on tuesday as one of the makeup games so they, they cut Tampa Bay a break. They move Monday's game against Nashville from 7 to 4 o'clock to give them more time to get into their hotel room and get a decent night's uh, rest because they've got five games in uh, seven days 
because they're in Dallas Tuesday, they're home against Chicago on Thursday, and then you got back-to-backs over the weekend. Uh, both four o'clock starts on Saturday against Chicago, Sunday against Florida. So it's a busy week coming up for Tampa Bay, which means the next time, Greg, we get together, there'll be a ton more to talk about. That's what we do. We love it. It flies, it flies with all these questions and the hockey talk. Can't wait to do it again next week. Good stuff. All right. Again, make sure you're subscribing to this podcast. Uh, make sure you're giving it the five-star reviews. Make sure you tell your friends, share it, everybody. Uh, everything helps. But don't forget about the special Manscaped code with bolts get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. All right. For Greg Lomelli, I am Eric Rowanson from Lightning Insider. We'll catch you next time. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.